0: You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and
1: fantasy with a twist.
0: Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci-fi and fantasy authors and proud tipsy nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. This episode of Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, supported by author C.D. Tavener and his new science fiction release, First of Their Kind. Check out the very cool cover and blurb for the book on the season one page of our website at tipsynerdsbookclub.com. Welcome, Tipsy Nerds, fantasy fans, book lovers, cocktail drinkers to the Tipsy Nerd Book Club. This is episode six, The Turtle Moves. We are, of course, discussing Small Gods by Terry Pratchett. I'm your host, Natalie Wright, and with me, as always, is co-host Robin Dabney. Hi, Robin. Hi, Natalie. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Just got back from El Paso a few days ago where we did the launch party for Tipsy Nerds and that was awesome. Totally badass, cool, fun time.
2: It was so much fun and I was like... So thrilled that people showed up, came to the bar. We had these amazing cocktails. Thank you to the Black Orchid Lounge in El Paso, Texas. I had a blast. I loved Woo-hoo. how how great our conversations yeah. were. I loved watching the show with a group of people to where we're all collectively like laughing and crying and being like, oh, damn, you yeah. know, like that was so much fun.
0: Yeah, yes, absolutely. Nerding out as a tribe together of uh, Game of Thrones fans was definitely the thrill of the night. It was so much fun. And the people of El Paso—it's always been my experience. The people of Paso are, of El Paso are warm, welcoming, lovely people. So we had a really good time with with the folks there.
2: Absolutely. Uh, before we get started in this episode, I do want to ask you one thing, just because that was such a fun a fun thing, and like how cool that we got to watch the first episode of the final season. But what was your favorite part of that first episode?
0: Oh wow, Whew, that's a tough one because. You know, I pretty much like, I always have my heart leap kind of up in my throat when I see someone ride a dragon, so... Wishing I was on that dragon like every time. Yeah. And as we talked about in last episode, that was pretty much the only part of Dragonflight that I could really get into was the fact that they were riding dragons. So that was cool. But right. wow. I mean, collectively as a group, I just felt like we were all, it was a, a bar filled with people, like literally standing room only. And you could hear a pin drop when Aria and John were having their moment. Yeah. That that was probably my favorite moment. And how about you, Robin?
2: Yeah. You know, I have been waiting for that reunion for so long. And when like she just smiles and runs into his arms, I teared up. I was just like, ah, it was so beautiful. And then when he asked her if she'd ever had to use needle and we all the whole bar just bursts out laughing. It's like, yes, I don't know. All the Aria parts in this episode were my favorite because I also really loved when she reunited with the hound because, you know, he's one of my favorites. She's one of my favorites. And so really, I think Aria stole the show for me for this first episode.
0: I agree. And we hope that we have a lot more to come with Aria in this season. So, okay... That was our little nerd out moment about Game of Thrones. Even just that one episode, we could probably have a whole episode of Tipsy Nerds just reliving right. <laughs> episode one of season yes, eight. Absolutely, but yeah, again, I we just cannot thank the Black Orchid enough for hosting us. The amazing bartender that night—it was one fella. He had created these amazing cocktails, and just it, it t- Tipsy Nerds, if you are in El Paso go to Black Orchid. It's a great place to hang out with your friends. Even a date night, it would be a great place to hang out, except for when we're there. <laughs> and when we're there, it's probably not a very romantic date <laughs> night because <laughs> uh, we we brought a crowd.
2: But it will be a fun date yeah, night. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not a quiet romantic, I guess is what I would say. No. And if you're not an yes. El Paso person, if you're ever passing through El Paso, uh, check out The Black Orchid.
2: Okay, so we are, today, we'll jump into what we're talking about today. We're talking about Small Gods by Terry Pratchett, which I absolutely loved this book. It's it's a really fun story. It kind of reminds me of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that kind of fun, quirky humor. Yeah, Natalie, I, I want you to kind of introduce the book, but first I want to ask you, what are you drinking today for today's episode?
0: Okay, so we'll get into this soon in terms of the themes of the book, but melons are like a major recurring thing in the book. Lots of hoeing of melons, weeding of melons, eating of melons. So we definitely wanted to put melons in our drink and then not not give too much away too early, but there's a point where they're on an island. And so I was looking for a drink that had a combination of rum and melon and I found it and it's really tasty. So I, I don't, I'm not quite sure what I'm, what I'm calling it. I don't know, melon patch, but it is Midori uh, melon liqueur with coconut rum. And then I put in a splash of uh, pineapple juice and it is really tasty, very refreshing and a really cool green color. So I'm thinking like too, if you ever had a Halloween party and you wanted to make something that looked like toxic waste... <laughs> But it has that glowing, <laughs> yum, appealing. <laughs> yeah. no, I just made it sound really horrible, but you know, like that, yeah. that, like really vibrant green, almost like fluorescent green color. It has that color, but it really tastes lovely, and um, you could you could even make it into like a creamy drink if you wanted to put whipped cream on top. Like they do sometimes with daiquiris, yeah. you could I could see where you could make it a frozen one for the summer, like out by the pool. You could do it with ice, that kind of thing. So we'll put the recipe for sure on the website. But I think it's when you can sort cater, you know, uh, to whatever your your needs or your tastes are.
2: You were mentioning it, and this episode will air in May. Immediately what I thought is like, this sounds like exactly the thing I want to drink while I'm lying on my pool floaty reading whatever book we're doing next for the show. Like, it sounds like a very refreshing summer drink yeah. as well as matching the themes of the book really, really well, which is cool.
0: Yeah, it's a fun drink. I like it. For those of you who are not familiar with Terry Pratchett's work, he he had a series called the Discworld series. And this particular book, Small Gods, is the 13th book in that series. And it is essentially a satire of religion. I, I don't know how else to, would you say that's a fair way to say it?
2: Yeah, it's a. it, it was published in 1992 and it's a satire of religion, religious institutions, and sort of the role religion plays in in politics. And we will definitely get into this more, but it's, I want to start this out. So anybody who like is thinking, oh, well, this is an insulting story to religion. It's not. It's a, the end message is is a very good one. What Ever you believe. And so he handles the satire really, really well in this story.
0: Right. I, I think as with all Terry Pratchett books, there's never a point where it feels mean-spirited and he's definitely not preachy. Yeah, I also was impressed by the con- fact that it's clear from reading it that this man probably grew up in a religious household and his, knows his way around <laughs> around uh, religious institutions. He is never at any point saying that faith is a bad thing. In fact, the opposite. I think he's really, the whole book is a satire of how people begin to believe in the institution more than the God. So on a plot perspective, we have- Yeah. Yeah. So on a plot perspective, it's, it's in a way a fairly simple plot. We have a simple man named Brutha who is in the land of Om, and he is a novice in this religious order. And one day, the god Om begins to speak to him, but only he can hear the god. And poor Om, who is a mighty god at one point, has now been stuck for three years in the body of just a simple turtle. And So here is this mighty god Om, who was in the past taking the form of, you know, like big flying animals or, you know, beasts with horns. And now he's a simple turtle stuck at the level of a turtle. And he only one (laughs) <laughs> person in the whole world can hear him. And it's Brutha who's, who can't read and can't write and is sort of a simple young man. And that's sort of where the story begins.
2: Yeah. So in this world, a God's power is determined by how many people believe in him. And like Natalie was saying, this society, Om, uh, Omnia, the, the city, they have really stopped believing in him. So he he's ignored his followers. He's sort of like gotten too big for his britches and therefore he doesn't actually have any power anymore so when he comes back kind of seeking his his eighth prophet he comes back as a tortoise because that's really the only amount of small power that he does have left and I think that's part of why this is so funny Uh, it's it has such a great message without being heavy-handed like you mentioned because of the comic relief you have all this great god who comes back as a tortoise and there's some really funny scenes where he's like cursing his followers and yelling at them, but they can't hear him because he's a tortoise, but we can hear him. And it's so funny. Right. Um, and then Brutha, our main character, our our, our protagonist right. is such an unassuming hero. He's a very unlikely hero. And I think those, that combination owns just silliness because he's a, a very, uh, he's a tortoise and Brutha's likability makes for a really great, Duo to lead us through this this story. I think it's hilarious when Ohm is he's in, for example,
0: Bertha's pack or a little uh Bertha's carrying him around in a in a pack or in a little sack or in a box. You know, no one's seeing this little turtle, right, as he's walking through the streets. And Ohm is smiting people and cursing them <laughs> as he goes. You know, I smite thee and may all of your cabbages, you know, wilt or whatever. I mean, all these like curses, but no one can hear him, but we, the reader can. And of course, Brutha can. Right. And that would, you know, poor Brutha. We also should mention that Brutha also has an eidetic memory, which is a pretty interesting thing. And at the beginning, you're like, okay, this is a little weird. But as the story goes on, it becomes clear that this is a major plot point. The fact that this young man, though he appears to be like... "Quote dumb." He's he has an eidetic memory, and so it's used to good effect at multiple points in the story. I think that the fact that this young man can remember everything—definitely,
2: <laughs> no—that's a that's a great point. And I think that's part of what makes him likable. Is you know they spend or Terry Pratchett spends this time crafting this character to make us think that he's kind of slow, he's unintelligent, he's unaware, but he's a savant as well in this way, and that acts throughout the story in in a great way to kind of counter all these external forces who are antagonists or just against the message that Brutha begins to believe in as the story goes on, which is one of the church needing to reform and be open-minded and humanist in their approach to
0: all religions. Right. But one of the ways it's used comically and with good effect is that even with his little tiny god, Brutha, remembers everything. So if Om, the god, one day says, well, I can you know, read your mind, even though he can't actually <laughs> read his mind, then Brutha, a few days later, will say, but you said, and he will repeat exactly what Om, the god, said. Or when he's talking to Vorbis, who is our antagonist, and he's the... He's the head of the Quisition, which is the kind of like the parody, of the Inquisition, and of course a nasty fella. But when Vorbus says something, mm-hmm. Brutha will remember exactly what Vorbis said, and Brutha remembers every chapter and verse of every prophet who's ever said anything about Om. So he can just repeat this stuff back without really a lot of thought as to its deeper meaning. But he just he just knows it, like you know, the sky is blue.
2: And he makes for a great antagonist to the antagonists in the story because it's like every right. time they try to undermine him or something and he's like, well, no, actually you said this or the scripture said this. It's like, again, that's part of that right. satire where it's like he, Terry Pratchett uses Brutha's eidetic memory to sort of remind these people who think they are religious, who think they are spiritual, that they're actually kind of far off from the doctrine that they're following or from what they believe. And Ruth is able to call them out on that, which is really entertaining and and impressive in the way it's used as a a plot device as well.
0: Totally. This is one of those books that, oh my gosh, there are so many quotes. We could sit here for probably two hours and just like quote the quotes back and forth because there's so many and they're so amazing.
2: Do you want to read me your favorite one? And then I'll read you my favorite one. <laughs> um, we'll just take one of the good ones. Just
0: Oh, gosh, there's so many. Well, I'll start with this one. I may have more later, but I'll start okay. with this one. Okay. From a tortoise eye point of view, even the most handsome human is only a pair of feet, a distant pointy head, and somewhere up there, the wrong end of a pair of nostrils.
2: <laughs> right. Like, And I feel like these, I'll read mine, but I feel like these... I feel like if you guys haven't read this book or Terry Pratchett, these are really good examples of what we're talking about when we say it's funny. It's just like really succinct, humorous writing. Right. Uh, and okay, so here's the one that I just really like laughed about. That it is a popular fact that nine-tenths of the brain is not used, and like most popular facts, it is wrong. Not even the most stupid creator would go to the trouble of making the human head carry around seven pounds of unnecessary gray goo if its only real purpose was, for example, to serve as a delicacy for certain remote tribesmen in the unexplored valleys. It's like, what a silly piece to throw into a book, but it's so, it's funny. It's witty. It's right. That's a good point that he makes. <laughs>
0: exactly. The book is full of good points. I mean, about lots of things, but one of the things about, you know, religion that I think that he does so effectively is to point out, see, the idea that Brutha is the only one that actually believes in the God. That's why he's the only one that can hear Om. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of other, the followers, they're believing in, yes, punish the non-believers. Yeah, we believe that. <laughs> that they can get their head around. That they can believe in. Right. They can believe in Vorbus's power gotten th- over them through fear. Like they fear him, therefore he has power. They believe in that. But... And they believe in the statues, that, but do they actually really believe in the god? And so, you know, the whole story really is is kind of about that. I wanted to know what you thought about Vorbis, Robin. What what are your thoughts on Vorbis as a character? I've seen some critique of him as a character that he's just kind of a someone. I think in some some posts we're talking about him as like a cardboard cutout villain. You know, he has no he has no arc. He has no depth. And so, I wonder what you thought about Vorbis.
2: So I can, I can see that. I mean, he's, he's just shy of being like a mustache twirling supervillain. Right. I think he works for me. He worked as a villain because this is satire and because it's comic in the way it's written. So having kind of a caricature villain right. worked for me in this story because this I wasn't trying to take it too seriously. And because I think Terry Pratchett is such a good writer, he knew what he was doing with Forbus's character in my mind. He he didn't just accidentally write a one-dimensional villain. That's not a flaw that he had. Right. I think in his mind he thought writing him kind of as a cliched villain would right. add to the the comedy in the story, the satire in the story. I think he represents a caricature version of these leaders in our real world who are religious leaders, who are but don't actually and this is not all religious leaders, that's not what I'm saying, but the ones who don't walk the walk, the ones who are frauds, the ones who say all of these things, but it's just about control and it's just about making people fear so that you can control them. And so there's not really, it would have been weird to me if he had crafted this really deep, empathetic villain in this story that's like, Funny and the point isn't for us to like empathize with this villain and and learn his backstory and oh my god he was abused as a child like the point of the story is to to right look at religion and religious institutions and the hypocrisy hypocrisy in that and and how we're kind of viewing it wrong I don't know what did you think about him you I agree with everything
0: you one. just yeah <laughs> I take a drink I um agree with everything you just said and I would only add that. There's more than one point in the book where Ohm is talking about Vorbis, and Ohm says to Brutha, Vorbis is the kind where nothing gets in and nothing gets out, talking about his mind. Because at this point in the book, it's established that Ohm can't exactly read a human's mm-hmm. mind in his current lowly tortoise form, but he can kind of see the contours of a mind. He can kind of get the drift of like what's going on in a person's mind. Okay. So he's saying to Brutha, Vorbis is a guy, nothing gets in and nothing gets out. He's set he's not willing to change. He's not willing to look at anything. And there's another place further on in the story where this point is hit home even even harder or, or more. So to me, the fact that Vorbis never changes was absolutely consistent with the character that Terry created, which is that he is a caricature of these kinds of people that aren't just in religious institutions, but everywhere, where there are people that they're, they really won't allow new information to come into their brain. Yeah. And therefore, they don't have to ever, <laughs> you know, they never change. They can go through their whole life and never really alter their yeah. vision. One no, note. I, I yeah. agree with So that. I, I think it was very intentional on Terry's part. It would be odd if Vorbis suddenly has some change at the end, you know, because it wouldn't be consistent with his character.
2: Yeah. There was a quote that was in the book also about Vorbis, and I feel like this Is kind of the heart of the character he was creating and what it builds off of what you just said about him. But the quote is that the worst thing about Vorbis isn't that he's evil, but that he makes good people do evil. And I think that's part of that caricature, that's part of that fear, that control. And I think that kind of sums up why his villain or his character as the villain is as it is. It's not about his backstory, it's about the fact that people in the world who are the Vorbises of the world, it's not the fact that they are one evil human, but that they have the power to spread that into other human beings. Right, exactly. So one thing I read when I was reading online, and I I felt this, or... I noticed this as I was reading through, but I kind of want to get your opinion, is that some people were saying the the first part of this book is pretty satirical and comical. The second part is too somewhat, but it it does have a a tone shift where it switches to a little bit more serious of a story. And I read some people who thought that was a bit jarring, um, that they didn't feel like it flowed necessarily super well. I don't know. How did you feel about that? I think it's a
0: fair point, but I didn't personally, as I read it, didn't feel that way. For me, there was no Jarring point. I mean, he's still. I just think that at the very beginning, yes, there's a lot more jokes. There's a lot more of the wit going on at the beginning of the book. But as we move to the halfway mark and further on, maybe to the last third, the plot itself is ratcheting up as he's established in the first half all the different players and you know what's going to happen, what's what's going on. So. For me, I don't know. I didn't find it jarring, and I didn't find it problematic, yeah. you know, as uh, as a reader. Okay, and what did I you did, think, Robin? Was that an issue for you?
2: No, I I didn't have an issue with it either. I just noticed that on some of people's yeah. um, more negative reviews. For me, I feel like he wove he like weaved the story. Wove the story. I'm a writer. I sh- should know this really, <laughs> really seamlessly, more seamlessly than I can speak. Um, and I I think it was a good balance because i think again that comedy um the satire to where he took a serious topic but made it in a, a way that was not mean-spirited it, it was not an anti-religious book at all um it's about tolerance of humanity and i think his pacing throughout leads to a really beautiful conclusion that sums that up kind of by the end like it's it's kind of poetic in a way that it all comes together yeah it did not bother me at all that piece of it
0: I found a clip of Terry Pratchett in an interview done by The Guardian a few years back. And for those of you who don't know, Sir Terry Pratchett is deceased. He died a few years ago. At the time of us recording this, we have not yet received permission from The Guardian to play you that clip. So we're just going to link to it in our social media and on our website so that you can listen to it for yourself. But a couple of things of note. One, um, a young lady in the audience is asking him a question about small gods uh, in reference to this book. And she's asking him if he believes in God. And so this clip that we're going to link to is his answer. But I also want to note that he's drinking wine (laughs) while he's doing the interview. So uh, he, you know. fortuitous. Yes, exactly. So um, very good clip for us tipsy nerds. His answer just off the cuff is so amazingly good. So I do hope you'll go check out Terry Pratchett in his own words, speaking about small gods and about his belief or non-belief in God and his views. But the question in a way though, coming from the audience at at that interview was a little bit, superfluous because I don't think you could read Small Gods and not know exactly where Terry Pratchett stands on all of these issues. It is not some veiled, thinly veiled like uh, satire. This is full-on Full court press, Terry Pratchett saying exactly what his thoughts are, and and actually, Robin, you summed it up earlier. You know your thoughts on how it's it's a humanist position, Mm -hmm. and you know it's very clear what he thinks.
2: Yeah, but again, I want to iterate, reiterate that it's not. I don't feel like it's didactic in any way, even though you know his point of view, he's not like you should feel this way or you're an idiot. I mean, he is kind of making fun of all of us, but it's not in a way that (laughs) makes you feel like an idiot. He's just saying, again, how can you disagree whatever you believe with being a better person and being more of a humanist? And so whatever you believe, this story brings it full circle to just being a better person.
0: Right. We have a new segment and Tipsy Nerds that was recommended to us by Kim in El Paso. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Kim. Cheers to you, Kim. Yeah, cheers. She suggested that we have a clinkable moment, a a special moment in the book where we're like, cheers. Yeah. (laughs) And so- uh, Robin and I sometimes may have the same clink of a moment. We may have two different ones. So Robin, I'm going to ask you first this week, what was your cheers moment in this book? What's the moment that made you want to go, want to, uh, you know, clink your yes. glass? Okay, so
2: this is, this is a spoiler. I'm going to try not to spoil it as much as possible. So I'm just going to leave a name out. But this book, in my opinion, has one of the best literary deaths ever written as far as the, the mechanism yeah. of death. <laughs> I was like, yes! And it made me want to (laughs) clink my glass. So um, the story opens again. Ohm is a tortoise. There's a lot of discussion throughout the story about how eagles come pick up tortoises. They drop them on the ground to try to make them hit rocks so that they die, so that eagles can eat them. Um, That is what happened to Ohm, except the the eagle missed the rock. And so he like lands in a a soft patch. And so he survives. (laughs) Um, Right. But there's a scene in this book where... Brutha is about to be killed. I won't go into the, the details of it. And ohm basically kind of comes to the rescue, has an eagle who is really his nemesis that he makes that clear throughout, pick him up and drop him on this individual's head to, to save Brutha. And it's just this really like silly full circle um murder, I guess, but you just cheer for it. You're just like, yes, yes. Like death by a turtle. That's the coolest thing ever.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. I will cling to that. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Right cheers. between the eyes. <laughs> Boom. Okay, what is yours? <laughs> yes. So cheers. Yeah. Cheers. cheers to, to death uh, by <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other th- great thing about that too, about that moment was that it's when Om is kind of He's kind of an asshole. I mean, as a god, he's really, and that's the point of the point of the book is that part of why he's lost his power is he's sort of lost sight of what a god is supposed to do. So he's just not helpful at
1: all. Yeah. You
0: know, like throughout the book, he's really every time Brutha on this long journey they're on, they're full of perils, every time Brutha needs him, almost is like, sorry, can't do that. Ohm basically only seems to be able to just be a nattering pain in the ass a lot of the time that Brutha has to take care of and carry around with him. So, yeah, so yeah. first of all, your clinkable moment, it's like, finally, you know, the God does something for the poor kid, you know, (laughs) it saves him. So it's like, yay. But that kind of leads into my clinkable moment, which was, there's a moment in the book and spoiler alert, spoilers. There's a moment in the book where Brutha finally has had enough and he turns to Om and he says, shut up. <laughs> I mean, this is after a long part of the journey and, you know, he's just had it up to here with, with Om basically being of no help to him. And secondly, um, not being very kind or compassionate or good towards, towards the people, towards humanity. So yeah, yeah that was where I was like, yeah, about time. Woo-hoo. You know, Brutha yeah. finally got up the nerve to say, hey, you may be my God, but you're not you're not very godly, so
2: just yeah. hush for you. Will you? Okay. Yeah, no, I will. Cheers to that. Yeah, yeah. Rutha <laughs> taking a stand against yeah, was was really exactly. satisfying. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Cheers. So one thing. Okay, so, so I oh, thank you. Oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was just to say thank you again, Kim, for recommending the clinkable moment of the book, uh, and we will we will do that as much as we can remember to going forward uh, in our series.
2: Yes. I have one more quote that I have to read because I remember just like dying laughing when I read it. And this could also be a clinkable moment, but uh, there's a point in the book when it, he says when it came to rampant eroticism, you could do a lot better than a one-eyed tortoise. And it just, I don't know, for some reason, I (laughs) thought that that was some pretty silly writing Um, (laughs) and I, and I really enjoyed it. So (laughs) I have to share that. If you weren't convinced yet to read the book, hopefully the, uh, erotic one-eyed tortoise, which I mean, could mean many things, I guess. Uh, hopefully that pulls you in. I'll stop talking now.
0: <laughs> That's great. Oh, I have some other quotes. I'm just going to run a couple of them through here because so they're it, short yeah. and they're so good. One is the trouble with being a God is that you've got no one to pray to.
2: Yeah, I, I liked that one too.
0: <laughs> True. Time is a drug. Too much of it kills you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. This is one that I can really relate to. In uh, Small Gods, one of the characters is Death, and Death is a recurring character in, I think, most of the disc or, you know, in the Discworld books. So he he comes at various times. But Death is here speaking to Vorbis. Mm -hmm. And Death says, You have perhaps heard the phrase that hell is other people. Yes, of course, says Vorbis. Death nodded. In time, he said, you will learn that is wrong. And I, uh, I think I particularly related to that quote because as a writer, I spend a lot of time alone. And I, I feel like sometimes my biggest yeah. time is my own mind. You know what I mean? Like too much time alone can lead to very ugly things, you know, in our own minds. So I related to that.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I liked this one. Gods never need to be very bright. There are humans around to be it for them. I liked the, uh, again, little lines like that are packed full of meaning and satire. Um, That one's not necessarily funny, but I think it it does a good job of showing exactly the message that he's trying to push with this, or not push, share.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. I think we can compare this to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy very readily. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide was written prior to this book but they're in I think the same like wheelhouse you know the same genre uh both satire both funny and I thought for me personally I probably prefer small gods to hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy for me the humor and the wit and the writing just hits on more levels for me so I I think I could read small gods just to laugh but I also feel like it's a book I almost would like to go back and read again sometime to dig to just sit with a little bit longer. Yes. And as I read a sentence or a paragraph, just kind of let it permeate me a little bit more.
2: I think fans of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy should pick up, this book should pick up Terry Pratchett because yeah. it, like if I were working in a bookstore and you were like, hey, I like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what should I read next? I would put this in your hands. Yeah. I agree though with you that I think, I not I think, I like this book better because I think I think it has more layers to it, which I'm not saying Hitchhiker's Guide doesn't. I absolutely loved that story. Right. But the message in this is like permeating every sentence. And I don't know. I just think it's it's done so well. Like you said, I think you could read this multiple times and uncover and peel back a new layer of what is hidden inside this book while still laughing and enjoying erotic turtles in the su- and such. But definitely if you're a hitchhiker fan, pick up this book. This is for you. And for those of you, this is a good question, good audience question. For those of you who have read Hitchhiker's Guide and Small Gods, or we can say any Terry Pratchett, like, which do you right. prefer and why? Which do you think has more, more of a message or is funnier? I don't know. Yeah. I just want to hear what are your thoughts? Cause they are very similar and they are both great books.
0: So here's a question, though, that relates to both books. What is up with the towel? Okay, if you have actually listened already to episode three of Tipsy Nerds, and where we talk about Hitchhiker's Guide, and we talk about the towel, and we you hear some of Robin's thoughts on the towel and some ideas about it, okay? There is actually a mention of a towel with the philosophers in this book. And I was like, it stood out to me probably because... We have so recently read Hitchhikers and had this conversation, but there's a point where they're discussing ephebian politics and the election of their tyrant, which was cut kind of, again, a little joke, right? It's a democracy, but they elect a tyrant. Right. <laughs> and <they're, you> know, <laughs> so, and they, they mentioned an ordinary philosopher in the street looking for a towel. And I'm like, is it, is it a British inside joke that like Americans don't get? Is he, you know, (laughs) are are all British people out wandering around? Do you guys need towels like more than Americans do? I mean, is there something up with that?
2: (laughs) Or... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I hadn't... Somehow I missed that connection, but yeah... It was so, well, and the funny thing is, this Hitchhiker's Guide also has philosophers. Right. And it's like, I don't know, are they both making fun of philosophers and towels? So one, is the towel a British joke or is it a philosopher's joke? Or is it like, somebody please, what? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I'm doing it wrong because I don't have towels right. in my books, you know? Like, or is it like <laughs> um, Hitchhiker's
0: was written first? And I would think certainly Terry Pratchett probably would have read it by, by the time this was published in 92. This is quite a while, almost 20 years later. So Mm -hmm. maybe he, is he doing like a little inside joke, nod to Douglas Adams? A shout out? Like a shout out to the towel? I don't know. But if anybody has any thoughts about that, we would love to hear your theories, your ideas. If you're British, (laughs) do y'all need towels a lot? Do you lose your towels? Are you looking
2: for towels? Or a towel... (laughs) (laughs) aficionado, right. <laughs> exactly. general towel enthusiast. Please let us know. Like <laughs> <how> <laughs> I feel like I should <laughs> become one. I feel like I mean I I do too. Maybe at our next live event, we'll we'll wear towels. Like we'll have towels wrapped around our necks or yeah. something. Like yeah, I don't know. I want to like I, because I can't stop quoting this stuff. You were, you mentioned the the quote that that's part of, but again, you're talking about the Athenians and this piece says, and this again talks about how just silly. The satire is in this, but it says the Ephebians believed that every man should have the right to vote, provided that he wasn't poor, foreign, nor disqualified by reason of being mad, frivolous, or a woman. And I think that, I mean, again, it's like, what? <laughs> Obviously, he's Terry Pratchett is making fun of this, but right. it just that, that message pervades the whole story. And I just love it. Yeah, Obviously. absolutely. Can't get enough
0: of it. Oh, I have another quote. There's no point in believing in things that exist. Okay, take a moment and let your head wrap around that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, right? There's no point in believing in something that you know is is there. Like you believe in things that you have some doubt about, right?
2: Yeah, that, that's a, that's the mind blown emoji right, right? there. Like. like- <sighs> if you've really stopped to think about that, that's like (laughs) (laughs) deepest quote ever. (laughs) Yeah. And so again, like I know we keep quoting things and this is maybe the first book that we've really heavily quoted, but it's because there's so many, like, again, why you need to reread this is because there's a lot of wisdom and philosophy. And even though he makes fun of philosophers in the story, he makes philosophers of all of his readers as we're reading this, um, which is kind of fun.
0: Here's another great one, though. Get your head wrapped around this one. Bishops move diagonally. That's why they often turn up where kings don't expect them to be.
2: Ooh. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I like it, I like it. (laughs) That's a quote for chess people, people who play chess. And it's also just a quote for politics. So we've talked a lot about how the story talks about uh, religion, but it actually too is also a great satire of of politics, political leaders, and, you know, the structures. And there's this side quest kind of going on in the book where we have the philosopher Didactylos, which is a great name for a philosopher and I he's a it. pretty great character. Yeah. Yeah, with with his his nephew who is also like his acolyte whose name is urn, like grecian urn. And urn starts doing like practical philosophy. So he's there comes a point where he's using his wisdom and his knowledge to create a war machine. And this is a kind of an interesting, like, again, side quest to the story where there's this whole question about whether or not, you know, they should be doing that. And Didactylos is having some qualms about it. Like, that's not what I meant. I just wanted to sit around and think about things. <laughs> I didn't want to actually, you know, like make stuff out of that 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 could be used for any practical reason. And then you have Brutha. He's got issues with it because he's like, hey, why are you any different from Vorbis? You may not believe the same thing as him, but now you're using your war machine Mm -hmm. to do the same thing. So that was uh, all very interesting, you know, interplay. And again, there's a little bit more depth to the story and satire than just picking on religion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely picks on politics. He picks on philosophers too, which is pretty silly. Definitely. Again, which is also funny because I would argue that he, him writing something like this is his philosophy coming out on page. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's probably definitely some self-deprecation right. as a writer and a philosopher himself, <laughs> which I appreciate. Right.
0: Yeah, definitely. Here's another tie-in to one of the books we've also talked about on our show. In episode four, we had the opportunity to talk with Hugh Howie, the author of Wool. And if you did listen to that episode, but uh, you'll know that Wool takes place in a silo with all of this division of labor and each level is sort of a different, within the silo, there's different structure, right? So all of the the mechanical is at the very bottom and you have the people running the business at the very top, running the place at the very top. So there is a quote that related to that in this, in uh, Small Gods, the people who really run organizations are usually found several levels down where it is still possible to get things done.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's a good one too. And that is that you're right. What a fascinating tie into Wool. And how he structured how he how he structured that silo with that same mentality.
0: Right. True though, too, right? Like Absolutely. I know what some of the jobs I've had, I felt like if the people who were running things would just get the hell out of the way, we could get it done, you know? <laughs> like yeah. go back to your office and look important so that we can get the work done that we need to do to make this thing actually happen. Yes.
2: Yeah. No, I, I definitely. So some
0: of you may be able to relate to that. So many. So another fascinating thing about this book, a completely different sort of like road that we're going to go down now is the concept of the world turtle. And one of the reasons that I found it fascinating was because it shows up across multiple cultures, this concept of a world turtle. So the idea here is, and this is the sacrilegious text that happens in a in the Ephibian culture, that the Omnians just can't abide by, and it turns everything on its head. <laughs> you know, it's making fun of the Inquisition, like Galileo. Mm-hmm. But instead of you know how Galileo yeah. knew the truth that the world was round, here the truth is that the world is flat. Like that's the truth that the Ephibians are coming to—that the world is a disc, that it's flat and that it's carried on the back of a giant turtle that basically swims through the ether of space. So this is the truth that the athebians come to and that Vorbis on the behalf of, you know, thequisition and, you know, the omnians just can't abide by that. So why this kind of fascinated me was because I thought I had heard that story before. And then I pulled out this book that I've had since I was in college called In the Beginning and it's a full of creation myths from around the world. And one of them is a Native American Iroquois thing about turtle putting soil on its back until the earth was formed. And then basically creating that the turtle is the firmament upon which all of creation stands floating through space. So I thought that was really fascinating.
2: Yeah. It's also actually found in Hindu mythology, which is cool. So I love that he, yeah, it's, he took something that we're all like, wow, how did he come up with that? And it's like. Not that he's like plagiarizing these things, but using real, fascinating stuff from real religions. I I love it. I think it's so cool to have that shout out to have that tie in. The turtle's name is what Great Atuin. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I love that the turtle yeah. even has a name. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, well, in Vedic mythology, there is a story of Vishnu's second avatar being a turtle that provides celestial foundation upon which a mountain is balanced. Yeah, and there's even mention of a of a turtle in China now. The goddess cuts off the turtle's legs to use to like basically hold up the celestial plane. But, you know, I mean, the turtle is still there. So, and independently in several tribes in North America. So that's that's pretty cool. And even apparently today in some North American tribes refer to our continent as Turtle Island. So Ooh. it's still there, the turtle. But it's, it's kind of a cool image though, you know, like a giant sea turtle, tortoise, a turtle, you know, like kind of swimming through the cosmic ether.
2: Earth. Definitely. That's a lovely image, actually. Yeah. Um, that somehow makes the world seem like this kind of calm, peaceful, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's like this great, calm, slow, peaceful image. And then on top of it, you have like this disc world or it's a small gods conflict going on. It's it's uh, funny. It like puts it into perspective of like all of the tiny insignificant squabbles among men and creatures and whatever's going on, on the back of just this really peaceful, slow-moving creature. It's a nice juxtaposition.
0: Definitely. I think we both really enjoyed Small Gods, and I definitely would want to read more Terry Pratchett. We do have more Terry Pratchett in the lineup of in the top 100. We do. Yeah. Is Good Omens in there?
1: I don't know.
2: I think, but if not, I think that's one we'll definitely have to put in there.
0: Yeah. And I th- we also have American Gods, right, by Neil Gaiman. Yes. And it would be interesting for... When we read that, I think we have that in season two of our show. But we definitely are going to be reading that this year. I think it'll be interesting to compare, Yeah. yeah, to compare and contrast these two with each other.
2: Definitely, yeah. One before or like before we sign up, I just want to end this with like one quote that I think wraps up the whole series. And I think if if you've listened to this, if you're, you know, on the fence what this book is about. Uh he says what i what have i always believed asking that question that on the whole and by and large if a man lived properly not according to what any priest said but according to what seemed decent and honest inside then it would at the end more or less turn out all right and i think that's the message of the story.
0: Yeah, i love that quote. It seems really true to me too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So if you enjoy satire, if you enjoy humor, definitely check out Small Gods by Sir Terry Pratchett, the late Sir Terry Pratchett. We we really enjoyed it. And uh, I look forward to talking more about it probably when we when we cover American Gods.
1: Definitely. And I think in our question for you guys uh, listening in, um, one thing I read from some of the different interviews, different blog posts online, were that some people really took this to heart in a religious way and found that it maybe changed their perspective or made them think something differently. So if you've read this book or you're reading it um I want to know did this story have any effect on your not necessarily religious beliefs, because I don't think a story could change that, but just how you view religion's role in society. Did it make you think anything different about the way you view the world? Uh, I'm curious to hear if if this had any effect on you, this particular story. Yeah, that's a great question.
0: Well, and next week we will be talking about a completely different sort of story, but no less entertaining and fun. And that is and philosophical. And we'll be talking about Ender's Game. We will be talking about the book as well as the movie, uh, which we always try to do on Tipsy Nerds when we have multiple media for the source material. We like to at least, you know, cover somewhat the movie and talk about it. So we will be talking about
1: Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. Excellent. I'm excited for that one. That's a that's one that I think a lot of people have read or seen. And I think it'll be a really fun one to, to chat about and to drink to as well.
0: Right. I want to remind people that, because I've gotten some questions about this, our show is available on iTunes. You can also find it on Google Play. You also can find it on SoundCloud and on Spotify. And there may be a few other places where it it will show up, but I know it's on all of those places. So you also can listen to episodes directly on our website. That's com. You can always go there and uh, listen. I don't believe you can download it though from, from the website. So if you want to download it so you can listen to Tipsy Nerds in the Car, we've had people talking about listening to it while they're making dinner, you know, wherever you want to listen while you're working out at the gym, you can download it from those sites I just mentioned. And you also can always find the recipes and you'll see all the great photos for the recipes. Most of them, if they're really good, they're probably taken by Robin. No. If they're, <laughs> You. <laughs> uh, you can see you can see all of the photos there, and get the recipes, and also find all the links to our uh, social media. We just really want to show right now some great appreciation gratitude to the early listeners of our show. As we record this, we've only got one episode out, and we're just blown away by the amount of support that we've been shown by listeners. So. Thank you, you all. We we love you, and uh, you're the reason we're going to keep doing it. Because uh, if you keep listening, <laughs> we'll just keep we'll keep no, rambling. But Robin, I think we'd probably keep do- yeah exactly drinking and rambling about these great books. So yes. thank you to all. We also have been receiving some recommendations from people about books that they want us to read. And so we love that. We appreciate it. And we definitely want to hear that. We won't have the time in our schedule to read all of the books that you recommend. So we will have to choose. But we really do appreciate each and every recommendation that someone has. And we do look into each of them. So thank you for that.
1: Thanks to everyone for listening each and every week. We love you guys. We can't do this without you. And cheers.
0: cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club
1: podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the fun with your friends and family. Love what you heard and want the fun to continue? Head over to Patreon and become a patron of the Tipsy Nerds podcast. We love our patrons. Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers!